Hey guys, I'm Caleb, and welcome to Passion Youth Podcast. Tonight, Pastor Josh speaks on working out our salvation with fear and trembling and honoring the presence of the Lord. I'm going to start off by reading a passage that my mom read at prayer time this Sunday, and it really spoke to me, and I've been, I've been kind of thinking on it throughout the week. And before we read the passage, I'm going to give you some, some backstory. So in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was exiled to Babylon. And if you don't know what exiled means, it means they were forced to leave their country. They were taken captive. And that happened because they were sinning against God. And they were breaking His commandments. And God warned them. God warned them. And He said, okay, that's enough. I'm going to take my hands off. And they were exiled to Babylon. They were taken away from their homeland. And so time passes by and God says, okay, now it's time for you to go back. I've made a way for you to go back to Jerusalem. And groups of Israelites were making their their way back to Jerusalem. And one of the groups, uh, Ezra, led the way. And Ezra was a man after God's own heart. And Ezra, whenever he led his group back, he said, okay, I want us to call a fast. I want us to humble ourselves before God and say, Lord, I need you. God, we need you for this safe journey home. We need you when we get back because we don't want to stray away from you like we did before. We understand the severity of of our sin that got us to this place. And so, Lord, we're just going to fast before you, God. We're going to humble ourselves. They offered sacrifices to the Lord. God, you're so good. Thank you for letting us go home. And that's where we're going to pick up. Ezra 9, chapter 9 and 10, if you want to write it down. Um, When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. With respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives and their sons so that The holy seed is mixed with these people of those lands. The Jewish people were God's holy people. They were set apart. They weren't supposed to intermarry. And here they were marrying with foreign women who do not have their convictions. They did not serve God. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespassing. So when I heard this thing, this is Ezra, I tore my garment and robe. That's a sign of of anguish and sorrow. I tore my garment and robe and plucked out some of my hair, of the hair of my head and beard, and sat down astonished that they had intermarried with unbelievers. Then everyone who trembled, and that's the title of my message tonight, Trembling Before God. Then everyone who trembled at the word, words of the, of the God of Israel assembled to me 
because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. And Ezra began to pray, began to intercede for his people. My dad talked about intercessor, intercessory this Sunday. He didn't begin to pray and say, God, forgive us. You've let us come back to Jerusalem, and I've just found out that these men have intermarried with unbelievers, and he made intercessory prayer for the nation of Israel. Verse 15. O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant, as is it this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. God, we're not worthy to stand before you. Now, while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing and weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel. For the people wept very bitterly. Then Shechaniah, the son of Jael, one of the sons of Elam spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. When you read this, you see the sorrow and the repentance of Ezra. You see the sorrow and the repentance of those who had taken these wives and broken the commandment of God. You rarely see this anymore, and it's sad when people see their sin... And they're just broken. They're so sorrowful over what they've done. They know what they have done offends God, so it breaks their heart. Ezra said, I tore my clothes. I pulled out my beard. And he sat there shocked until evening time. You know what the problem is? We're not shocked by sin anymore. We would never hear of something like this and just be shocked and just sit there in astonishment and sorrow for what we had done. We've grown so used to sin being all around us, being so near us. We've grown used to sin being a part of our life. We've let it around us. We've let it come into our life, and so therefore we're not shocked by it anymore. My dad talked about a dream he had Sunday, and it was so good. A dream God had given him. And I'm not going to get it exactly right, but he went in this house, and there was this woman in the house, and, and my dad said he just knew that there was mice in there. He didn't see any sign of them. But he just had a feeling that there was mice in the house. And he asked the woman, do you have mice here? She said, oh, no, no, no mice in the house. But look out the back, the back door. Look at this swampy area in the back. There is mice all in there. There's filth all in there. 
And there's a snake that feeds on the mice, that feeds on the filth. And so they walk around the side of the house and they see a huge hole in the house with thousands of mice coming in and out of that house in all the filth, in all the nastiness that comes with that. And what does she do? She walks over there and she gets an armful of those mice and she walks towards my dad and tries to give him some. And he says, no, are you crazy? Put that down. Drop the filth. Drop the sin out of your life. We've grown so used to there being filth around us, to there being sin in our life. We're, we just want to go pick it up and there's no shock factor anymore. We don't sit there astonished. And here's the thing. This lady, she didn't particularly want the mice in her house. She told my dad, there's no mice in the house. She didn't want that. She didn't want that known. You might not want sin in your life. You might not desire that. But whenever you let it get close to your life, whenever you let it surround your life, whenever you let it control your appetite, and it's all around you, you just lose sight of the sin that you're partaking in. And we lose the fear of the Lord. When we lose the shock of sin and the fear of the Lord, we don't even fight sin anymore. She just went and picked up those mice. It's not even worth fighting anymore. I'm just going to embrace it. I'm just going to let it be this part of my life. I'm going to kind of keep it hidden away, but I'm going to just let it stay there. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. When we fear the Lord, we hate evil. And so when we're letting sin into our life, when we don't have that hatred for it, when we don't see the filth and the, the sin and, and say, oh, get that away from me. When we don't have that hatred in our life, we've lost the fear of the Lord. And a lot of times in, in modern church culture, in modern preaching, we're so focused on the love of God. We're so focused on the grace of God to the point which we don't preach the repentance like we need to. We don't preach the fear of the Lord. I ran across something by Billy Graham as I was preparing this, and it's so close to my dad's dream. I was like, wow, that's good. So I'm going to read it to you guys. We in the church have failed to remind this generation that while God is love, he also has the capacity to hate. He hates sin, and he will judge it with the fierceness of his wrath. This generation is schooled in the teaching about an indulgent and a soft-hearted God whose judgments are uncertain. They don't, they don't believe God's going to judge them. And who coddles those who break his commandments. 
This generation finds it difficult to believe that God hates sin. I tell you that God hates sin just as a father hates a rattlesnake that threatens the safety and life of his child. God loathes evil and diabolical forces that would pull people down to a godless eternity just as a mother hates a venomous spider that is found playing on the soft, warm flesh of her little baby. It is his love for man, his compassion for the human race that prompts God to hate sin with such a vengeance. Wow. I read that and like, wow. That is spot on. God hates sin because he knows it can pull you away from him. God hates sin because it can pull you away from him. And let me tell you something else. God hates it when you sin. Would you think about it that way? God hates it when you sin. Just like he talked about the baby letting that rattlesnake just be in its presence. God hates it when we bring sin into our, our presence. I want you to think about the Israelites. Whenever they would sin against God, what happened? God became angry. God's wrath was kindled. And Moses had to pray for the wrath of God to be turned away from the nation of Israel, for him to give them grace and mercy because God's anger was kindled against them. He wanted to judge them. He wanted to make them learn not to do that again. He hates it when we sin. He hates it when we run to evil. When you sin, you are fellowshipping with what God hates. You are ignoring His commandments. You know, we say commandments so many times. What does that mean? God's commandment is something that He desires for us to do. He knows it's something that would be a beneficial to us. And so He makes a ruling. He makes a law. He makes a commandment that you're not to go and do that. And here we go we do the exact opposite, and we think that's okay. We think that's no big deal to go against the Word of God. We're going and doing what God hates. God hates when you go and do that sin. The fear of the Lord is trembling before Him in respecting who He is. Desiring above all else to please the Father. That should be your number one goal. Lord, I want to be pleasing to you. Lord, I want to live a life that is holy and pure. I want to go down the straight and narrow. I never want to backslide. That's not even, that shouldn't even be in your mind. Lord, I have no desire to backslide. I have no desire to take one step back. I'm going to run after you all of my days. I'm going to live my life by example. I'm going to lead others to the light. I'm going to be a city on a hill. 
So like, is the fear of the Lord being scared all the time? Is the fear of the Lord just constantly being just afraid and cowering down? No, it's not. It can be. It can be. When we sin, if we know, no, we have disobeyed the commandments of God, there, there should be a fear inside of you that says, Lord, I, do, I don't want the repercussions of my sin. Jesus, I need the blood of the cross to cover that sin. But the fear of the Lord is not always being afraid of God. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is honoring and respecting how mighty He is and acknowledging that He is master over your life. Let me tell you, He's a good master. He's a good father. He never messes up. Your earthly father, they're going to mess up all the time. When I'm a father, I'm going to mess up all the time. Our earthly father, he never messes up. His, His desire for you, his love for you is spotless, completely pure. Every commandment, every rule is perfect. His law is perfect. And we should love his law. And we should say, Jesus, I submit myself to you. I want you to be the master of my life. I want you to be my father. And he is a father that is to be obeyed. He's not a pushover dad. He's not a dad that doesn't care. He's a dad that cares. He cares when you step into sin. He cares when you step away from his commandments. And he is to be honored and respected. Even Satan understands how powerful God is. Even Satan and his demons fear him. James 2.19 You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Awesome. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Even the earth itself trembles before God. Psalm 77, verse 16. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. If the earth sees God... And trembles and shakes. Who are we to not tremble and shake before the Father? We hear the word of the Lord being brought to us on a Sunday morning and on a Wednesday night. And we hear that word and we're completely unmoved. Like some of you will be here tonight. You'll hear this message and you'll go away and not make any adjustments. You won't care what I'm talking about. Completely unmoved. We hear the conviction of the Lord come upon our hearts. When a sin is brought to the light, when we understand that we have sinned against God and He brings that conviction to our heart and we're unmoved, do you know how the audacity you have to do that? 
We should be trembling before God. And when He points something out to us, we need to make a change in our life. What does it look like when we fear and tremble before God? In the story of Jonah, this comes to mind as I think about this. And we're going to look at Jonah chapter 3. This is after Jonah disobeyed. And he's finally going to Nineveh. He's been spit up out of the whale. The Lord gives him a second chance. Then the Lord spoke to Mo, uh, Moses, Jonah. The Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed. Come on, you don't make that mistake twice. He obeyed the Lord's commandment and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. This is the word going forth. This is God's word. This is the conviction of the Holy Spirit going forth. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. God, I'm nothing. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. And the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear the garments of mourning. And everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all of their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and will hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he threatened. When we truly fear the Lord, when we truly are trembling before God, there is a response to the Word. There is always a response to the Word. There's always a response to the conviction brought to a, your heart. I'm sure this king of Nineveh, just the day before, wasn't, he, wasn't thinking about God. I'm sure he was strutting around in his priestly, uh, kingly robes, thinking highly of himself. But when he heard the truth, first he believed the truth. Then he acted upon the truth. He says, God, I'm, I'm nothing. I realize that now. I'm going to stop my evil ways. I'm going to put on the robes of mourning. I'm so sorry for what I have done. Forgive me, Lord. That's what it looks like to tremble and be humbled by God. You know, the, the prodigal son, he was an arrogant guy. He said, I want my inheritance now. I'm tired of living in the father's house. I'm tired of all this work. I want to go out in the world. I want to experience new things. I want to go have some fun. And so he said, Dad, give me my inheritance. 
And he goes, and it's fun for a little while like it always is, but sin will always bring you down. Sin began to chip away at him and chip away at him, and he was brought lower and lower until the point where his job was to feed the pigs. And he got so hungry, he looked at that slop, and it looked appetizing to to him. And at that moment, he came to his senses, and he realized... I had it made at the Father's house. My dad was so good to me. What was I thinking? I've spent all my inheritance. I've lost everything. I'm going to go back to my father. And he was humble before God. And when he went back to his dad, he was scared. He was nervous. And he said, Father, I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've messed up really bad. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I just want you to take me back as a hired servant. I just want to be in your house, Father. And the father looked at him in that moment of grace when he saw that. He had so much love for him and so much compassion. He said, Stop talking. And he kissed him. And he gave him a huge hug. He said, son, go put on some of your clothes that you left behind. Go put on some of your nice clothes and come in the house. I'm just so glad that you're back. And we're going to celebrate you being back. You're going to come back like nothing has ever happened. We're going to celebrate you coming back. We're going to kill the fatted calf. I'm going to tell all my friends that you've come back. Whenever you get to the point of trembling before God, all pride is gone. It's gone. And you're completely humble before God. You can do that before the pig pen and God can be so pleased with you. Or you can do that after the pig pen and God can still be so pleased with you. Now there was consequences. He didn't get his inheritance back. He lost that. He lost something. So don't go think that you could just run off in the world and there's no consequences. Don't think that you aren't going to lose anything. But there's going to be grace if you come back and you come before God trembling. Not just come back and say, oh man, I messed up. Sorry, Dad. Hey, I'm back. Uh, I need my old job back. I need my old room too and my clothes. Hey, you got a fatted calf? I'm super hungry. The father would said. See ya. Bye. I don't want that. And some of us, we try to do that. We go and live off in the world. We sin. We do what God hates. And we just want to come back. I'm back, God. No. You have no fear of the Lord. You might say, I'm not, I'm not in a pig pen right now. I'm in, I'm in a good place with God. I see Him moving in my life. He's doing things in my life. So, you know, know, this message isn't for me. I I don't need to fear God. I don't need to tremble before God. No, 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 no. Matthew 11, 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. 
He said, I've come, I went to these towns. I tried to show them my goodness. I did miracles. I healed them. I moved in their life. But they didn't turn from their sins. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon, it will, will be better off on judgment day than you. And the people of Capernaum, you will be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, I would, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. If God says, God may be showing his goodness to you. He may be doing miracles in your life, trying to draw you into him. But if you don't have the fear and the trembling of God, you're worse off than the ones who just completely reject God. You are lukewarm. God is being good to you. And you're showing him no respect, no honor. We could be surrounded by God's goodness, but not fear him. Look at, look at Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works for you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's read that again. All eyes on this. Take this in. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and work, and to work for his good pleasure. What does it mean? To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What, nobody's perfect in here. You could, you could have Jesus in your heart. You could be living for him, but you're not perfect. Nobody in this room is Christ-like to the point where you have no room to grow. No room to change. Each and every one of us has something that is unpleasing to God in our life. Every single one of us. Nobody has their doctrine perfect. Nobody's beliefs are perfect. Nobody is completely free of sin. So what does that mean? There is room for change in your life. So you can either be a Christian who shuts off the Holy Spirit shuts off correction and says, I got it all together. Or you could be a Christian who every day is working out their salvation with fear and trembling. God, I don't want to be unpleasing to you. I don't want to do things that you hate. I don't want to spread a message that is not truth. And every day, God is working in us, perfecting our faith as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so if you're not working out your salvation with fear and trembling, you're not being pleasing to the Father. This message is for everyone. 
we need to understand the power of the presence of God and how much honor and respect it really does deserve. You know, in yesterday's Bible readings, hopefully you do a one-year Bible or some kind of devotion or a daily Bible reading, something you've got to feed your spirit. You've got to grow in the Lord in that way as He gives you revelation every day. And yesterday it talked about, it was a verse in Psalms, and it, it was talking about your war horses are useless. What does that mean? Back in the day, whenever you had a bunch of war horses and chariots and you showed up to battle, like you're going to win. There's no doubt. And when you show up with warriors and war horses and you say, I'm going to win this battle. Let me tell you, the other people that are looking at those war horses, they have an honor and respect for what's about to take place. And the, the people with the war horses, they have a faith in them that they're going to win this battle. And God's saying, you have this honor and respect for this show of power that you, you think you can put on, but it's useless. In our day and age, it would be if we had all these tanks and aircraft carriers and fighter jets, and we were about to be attacked by all this, we would have a fear. We would have a respect for what was about to take place. And God's saying, you have a, a fear and respect for this, but you don't even have a fear and respect and honor for my presence. Compared to my presence, these things are useless. And yet you don't understand the power I really have. In the Old Testament, when the presence of, the God, of God resided in the ark, whenever it was brought to battle in a way that was pleasing to God, and God would fight for them, there was always a victory. Always a victory. And in fact, it says the Philistines, I forgot exactly what it said, but when they heard the ark was there, they were filled with fear and trembling. When the ark was placed in the Holy of Holies, it was where the, the high priest would go on the Day of Atonement and apply blood to the mercy seat in that Holy of Holies and our sins would be forgiven. Let me tell you, that high priest, he didn't just bust up through that curtain into the Holy of Holies. He had a fear of God. He had a respect for what he was about to walk into. He had a reverence, whatever you want to call it. He understood the power of the presence of God, and he would purify himself. God, is there anything in my life that is not pleasing to you? Lord, cleanse me right now. Lord, he went through all the purification process, and then even as he went in, he wore bells on his robe. So that if God struck him down dead, they would know because the bells would quit ringing. They had an honor and respect for the presence of God. We don't have that honor and respect. 
We fall asleep during service. During an altar call. During worship. We laugh and we cut up. That's not honoring God. If you were walking into the Holy of Holies, you wouldn't be joking. You wouldn't be laughing. You wouldn't be half falling asleep, I promise you, if you were afraid you were going to get struck down dead. And now the presence of God, it lives inside of us. And yes, there is a new freedom. Yes, there is a new grace. But the presence of God is the same. And He demands that we honor and respect the presence of God. You carry around that presence with you everywhere. And you always need to remember, if, 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 the, if I was in the Holy of Holies, because I am, would I be doing this? And that's how we need to live our life. And not just think of God as someone who coddles sin, who thinks sin is okay. We just have to just pray for grace. He requires us to, be, to have fear and trembling before Him. Don't be fooled into the lie that the fear of the Lord was only for those in the Old Testament. Because I want to read you something out of Revelation. You can put that up now. And this is the end of days. This is the end. This is the judgment of God. This is it. This is an Old Testament. And the nation, nations were enraged. And your wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged. And the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. He's coming to set things right. He's coming to bring judgment to all those except who? Those who fear the Lord. We need to examine our hearts tonight and make sure we are fearing God. We need to realize that we need the cross desperately. We need the blood of Jesus over our life desperately. I need the Holy Spirit daily in my life. I need Him working in my life every day, knowing that we need His presence and remembering to honor that presence. Guys, don't lose the shock of sin because God doesn't lose the shock of sin in our lives. 